Hello there. This is Noah Nelson, host of the No Persinium podcast. What you're about to hear is a special edition of the podcast that took a lot of hands to put together. In the aftermath of the horrific mass shooting in Atlanta this past March, we were reached out to by Carl Choi, our friend from Greatco, who had, was working with a group called Stand With Asians to produce an event that was going to take place all day on March 26th, and indeed did take place all day on March 26th, a day of programming and protest uh, to both raise awareness of the discrimination and violence that has been directed at the Asian American and Pacific Islander communities here in the United States, not just in the past year, that has intensified because of the coronavirus pandemic and the racist rhetoric that has come out of certain political corners of our country, but also the longstanding systemic violence and discrimination that our Asian American and Pacific Islander brothers and sisters have endured for decades into centuries here in the United States. They chose the date of March 26th for reasons that Carl is going to explain in not too long, so I won't steal that thunder from him. This piece took a lot of folks coming together to make it work. Jacob Patterson of Think Tank Gallery did the recording. You won't hear Jacob, but he's the one who did the work of getting this from the Clubhouse session, Clubhouse being the iOS audio-only social network um, that enabled this Thing to take place at all. Michaela Ternaski-Holland, who is a virtual reality producer, and we are honored to have be part of No Pro's group of stringers and staffers, helped put together the programming block. And indeed, it was Michaela who took this idea of doing a brainstorm on Clubhouse to our friends over at the Extending Realities Club, of which Joanna Popper is one of the organizers. Joanna gave us the blessing to stand this event up in their club, which has a lot more members than the club that we run does. And that brought a lot of folks in. The idea was that we were, and I believe you will hear that we managed to pull off, would be to get the immersive creative community asking, what can they do? What what steps can we take in order to address these problems. This is not a definitive end of the discussion. What you will hear is a clubhouse session. There are people who come in and out. A lot of personal stories get shared. A lot of information gets shared. People join late, so they haven't heard what's happened before. So some things are going to come back around. But the way to approach that is to know that this is what's top of mind for so many folks. There's also a lot of material that we can just frankly say is uncomfortable, to say the least. There have been a series of violent attacks over this past year, and they are occasionally brought up with no warning, as would happen in a natural conversation. So consider this your spoiler warning. If if discussions of physical assault uh, are not something you can endure right now, and I understand completely, just know... That's going to come up at points. Uh, There's a point in this, uh, then it doesn't last for too long, where someone jumps in and makes it weird. Uh, We didn't cut that. 
it's a thing that happened, and you'll see how the room reacts. Uh, That sequence lasts for maybe two minutes in total. I myself, knowing it was coming, uh, was dreading hearing it, but it's, it's definitely worth having in the whole piece. Uh, this also would not have been able to take place if it weren't for the efforts of Catherine Yu, our executive editor, who uh, does a great job of holding down the room and acting as one of uh, the moderators. So too does Kent Bai of the Voices of VR podcast, uh, who is our um, our co-host on the clubhouse that we run. Uh, and indeed, both of them do stellar work. Uh, the idea here as Carl wanted, was to not just have Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders, but also folks who would be allies to that community to be part of this discussion. Um, There has been minimal editing done of this, mostly to take out uh, the gaps that happen because Clubhouse is everyone talking on the phone, so I've tightened that up. And also, at one point, one of the speakers mentioned their child by name, and they asked for that to be removed. And indeed, we removed that because that's the thing that should be done. People don't need to know people's children's names. All right. I think that covers everything. You will not hear me again. Uh, I go on this journey with you, listening, uh, and there will be no close at the end of it. But again... Thank you for downloading this episode, and if you want more information, and you'll hear this many times, standwithasians.com, and we are providing the link in the show notes, so it should be pretty easy for you to find those resources. Again, thank you to Carl and Michaela and Joanna for making this all possible. Thank you to Catherine and to Kent for doing what they do best and to Jacob for recording it all. And one of the big callings we're having is for um, our Asian American community and our allies, uh, like this room here today, uh, to take a day off work to have these conversations uh to educate uh folks about what's happening uh because over the course of the last year uh hate crimes against asian americans have only grown and uh, i'm sure if you're living in the city you probably have asian american friends and uh none of our grandparents are safe right now and, and that's really uh been disturbing and so uh you know i had a chance to connect with uh noah and jacob and uh they did a great job of just rallying Catherine and everyone else in the community together. And uh, yeah, no, and, and I'm super excited uh, for this uh, to brainstorm together with you guys and see what we could do. Thanks, Carl. Really, really happy that you're here. Really happy that uh, everyone came together and wanted to do this. My name is Joanna Popper. I work at HP in virtual reality and together with with Amy LaMeyer and Maddie Callender and Kathy Hackle, we host a, a clubhouse called Extending Reality. And um, some, some of our friends on that stage reached out to us at, and wanted to have an event today in, you know, 
in collaboration with Stand With Asians, what can the immersive community do? Um, and so we're here, you know, along with everybody else to listen, to learn, to and to brainstorm and you know and see what how we can best come together and and support so i'll turn it over to the rest the the, the other mods and excited for for um what comes out of this yeah hi my name's kent by i do the voices of vr podcast and yeah just happy to be here as an ally and um yeah i was just uh catching up on um Grace Lee is a documentary filmmaker, and she put out a tweet talking about the a, a PBS series called Asian Americans. And so I was just uh, watching some of that, and there's just a lot of the the history that I think just uh, as I just catching up on, I guess, in some sense of the, I think the documentary came out uh, last year. But um, yeah, I think I'm just here to help support and be an ally. And um, yeah, I just look forward to hear uh, help facilitate the conversation in any way. So. Yeah, and uh, sort of pass it along to, to Carl and other folks here up on stage to introduce themselves. Great, Joanna, Ken, thank you so much. Uh, it's funny, Joanna, I think we, we have so many mutual friends and we may have connected uh, on LinkedIn or something before, but I'll, I'll share a little bit of a personal journey. Uh, for me, my my journey with the immersive community was, was totally by accident. I thought I was gonna be a film producer and study under a, a, a producer to be that. Uh, but came across this world of theme entertainment and uh, fell right into it and found an amazing community, uh, nothing but love, and everyone just sees something beyond uh, what what's out there today. And there was just so much innovation and so much momentum, especially going into 2020. I think we could all relate. Uh, this community was also um, probably hit the hardest uh, because of, of the pandemic. And I'm super excited to see a comeback and why this Stand With Asian movement uh, began was because a friend of mine about a month ago, um, he wrote a letter to a circle of our friends and shared about how his friend was the one that was stabbed in New York for no reason, uh, multiple times, uh, just walking in the street and had his punctured liver and is still uh, you know, recovering today. And um, it was pretty heart-wrenching to hear that. Uh, and I just thought, man, that that's that's, that's kind of an extreme one uh, leading up to then last week's uh, shooting in Atlanta, uh, which I was just completely shocked uh, playing with the rest of the nation. Uh, then seeing the grandma getting beat up and um, just the injustice that followed where there was just no recognition at all uh, from, from any major corporations. And so, uh, you know, I, I asked how I could help and uh, my friend was putting this together for this March 26th date to call everyone take a day off to learn. And I thought it was playing one of the most uh, active way to educate because uh, we all know what we know, we know what we don't know, but sometimes we just don't know what we don't know. And we're finding that a lot today where, um, you know, there's tons of allies out there, uh, but it takes, uh, it takes time to reach out. And I think it, it starts today. So we're not seeing this as a one day thing. This is a kickoff hopefully to more of these conversations. So I just want to thank you everyone on stage for, for being part of this. I don't know if Jacob's uh, speaking, but Michaela, I guess I'll pass to you. I was just giving a, a little clubhouse applause to you, Carl, uh, for everything you said. Uh, hi all, I'm also here alongside of these incredible panelists and feel very honored to be here. Uh, Carl sort of 
started this conversation amongst the No Proscenium, Everything Immersive community, which extended, of course, into our extended realities uh, siblings in the immersive interactive industry. And I'm just so thrilled that we're able to have um, a really, I hope, to be a very transparent, open brainstorm. Just bring everything and anything into this space that you think is, you know, appropriate of how, you know, we as an industry can come forward. Um, a little bit about me, I do uh, immersive interactive experiences from VR and AR to physical installation work. My focus and my expertise is in documentary, uh, journalism, and nonfiction storytelling for social impact. Um, so, yeah, uh, just I'm looking forward to being a part of this conversation. I'll pass the mic over to Catherine. Hi everyone, um, I'm so glad to be here and just to build off what Michaela was saying and what Carl was saying, um, this is the start. We don't have all the answers, but I'm hoping we can figure out some actions together, things that we can uh, take away for later, put in our back pocket, um, ruminate on for the future. Um, uh, Michaela and I, I don't even remember, how many years have you been doing? Uh, Michaela's been a correspondent for No Proscenium for at least a couple of years, and uh, I am currently the executive editor of No Proscenium and one of the co-founders of everythingimmersive.com, as well as the HEAR Summit and Festival, and I also am getting my master's degree at USC Games. I'm working in VR right now, so I have, have dabbled a little bit in game design and virtual reality and a little bit in augmented reality games. And of course, we cover the spectrum of AR, VR, XR, MR, all of the Rs and ARGs and escape rooms and theater um, as part of No Proscenium. And so um, part of our mandate is to start de-siloing um, you know, the different bits and pieces of the immersive community, which include theme entertainment and a lot of the genres that I mentioned earlier. So I'm, I'm really hoping that like we can bring people together and just start thinking about ways that the immersive community can help. And this is um, really exciting for me as well. I just wanna thank all of you for um, having this idea and bringing this group together. Um, I've been a fan of and, and known most of you guys for many years now. Um, I'm Amy Lemire. I'm with the WXR Fund. We uh, invest in VR, AR, and AI companies, particularly focused on women, but in diversity and uh, as a whole. Um, just really excited to join this conversation and, uh, and hear how we can bring the communities together. Maureen, did you wanna um, just give an intro? And uh, thanks for coming. Uh, it's nice to see you here on stage. Of course. Uh, I'm Maureen Fan. I'm co-founder of Baobab Studios and the CEO. We are, are a interactive animation studio. Um, and I co-founded it with Eric Darnell, who is the writer-director of Ants and All the Madagascar films. And we've been around for about five years. Um, thank you for organizing this. It's a topic I'm passionate about because I am Asian-American. Um, been pretty upset about it over the last few days. What my club, um, Animation Industry Club, is trying to do about it. Actually, I see Robert in the Robert Kondo, who is the co-founder of Tonko House. Um, uh, what we're going to be doing is hosting a panel of Asian American badasses um, <laughs> directors um, next Monday at noon, and then on Tuesday we're hosting badass Asian American animation visual artists. Um, 
for the directors of all sorts of films from like the good dinosaur to all the upcoming Pixar films, upcoming Netflix films and et cetera, to try to highlight the positive. Um, but I'm looking forward to this talk about brainstorming what we can do to actually address the issues. Cool. Jenny, do you want to share um, with the audience? Hi everyone, uh, just a brief intro. My name's Jenny. Um, I'm, um, I'm also uh, run a VR startup. They focus on immersive uh, retail. And also I'm a, a VR producer. So in the past year, I'm really trying to push um, more actually just uh, Asian creator to get into the XR space. So uh, two years in, in 2000, um, 20 January, we actually are successful be able to uh, produce one immersive uh, XRP and got it into Sundance. Was the first uh, Chinese uh, VRP that was selected by Frontier Lab. Was uh, really a milestone for me and my team. And uh, th during the pandemic, we also uh, produced a new piece called Devil's IVs. That really, the, the the story is really beginning with the actually the coronavirus uh, was which was happening in Wuhan and gradually evolved into a global pandemic. That was actually, uh, we, we didn't really have much funding, but able to finish the work with a lot of uh, collaborator and just artists and be able to actually recognize uh, by International Emmy for a creative young creative award. So uh, my goal is really, really uh, bring diversity and uh, just uh, more Asian creator to the community because it's very hard for them to create. They don't really have that kind of ecosystem um, in China, at least. Um, so thank you. Thanks, Jenny. And you know, I've never done a uh, clubhouse brainstorm room before. And, you know, Michaela, Catherine, I don't know if you guys had a chance to kind of do some game planning, uh, but I miss my uh, sticky notes. And I miss my whiteboards right now. And so we'd love to hear uh, maybe just some ideas to kick us off on how we can approach this. So one thing I've really been thinking about is for people who want to get involved in the space, there's not really a good starting point, especially if you are not affiliated with like a college or university, or you just can't afford to go back to school. So something that's been bouncing around in my head all day is the idea of like some sort of apprenticeship, a way for people to learn hands-on while working on a project to get their feet wet and like have that experience. I don't know if you or Michaela have ever experienced something like that. I think on my end, outside of a university environment, the closest Thing I've heard about that might not have as much of a paywall as some of these larger incubator, accelerator, wor very well-marketed workshops that I see in, in certain newsletters would be what happened with the Fifth Wall Forum, where it wasn't this, you need to come in and learn something brand new. It was come in with your previously held skill sets, and I'll go into what Fifth Wall Forum was in a moment, um, come in with your previously honed skill sets, whether you're a creative, a choreographer, a theater maker, or a virtual environment designer, or a game designer, or a narrative designer, and we will pair you with a team of people, and we will empower you and that team of people with a mentor. And then however you know involved that mentor is we will have a team of people guide you through sort of a unaccelerator accelerator program at no cost to have then a very a wonderful reveal event to um 
share and explore the continuation of your projects outside of this program with potential funders, potential collaborators in the audience to witness the presentations. And so it was basically a fifth wall forum was a virtual theater experience for people in a theater backdrop or theater background, sorry, to meet and communicate and learn more about immersive interactive communities in XR. Um, and I thought it was a fabulous sort of form of uh, that type of fellowship or apprenticeship that Catherine is talking about, maybe not so far as hard skills, learn Unity from scratch for free, but hey, you already have a great background and a great skill set. Let's pair you with someone who already knows Unity. So a little different, but I thought it was a cool and amazing uh, step in the right direction as far as accessibility. Yeah, I'm also thinking about, um, you know, what pockets of people maybe don't know that they want to work in the field and how can we reach out to them? Because it's one thing to raise your hand and say, oh, I want to join this accelerator or something. It's another thing to think that like, oh, I'm not I'm not qualified or um, I don't have any like role models in that field. So maybe it's not for me or you just don't even like think of it as a potential career path. I know that that happened to me when I was a kid because I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm probably going to be like a programmer an engineer or something. I didn't think, oh, who runs Disneyland? Uh, I could be one of those people. So I, I think there's maybe some more um, conversations and like connections and outreach to be like, hey, you are, might be a more traditional theater person or an actor or a voiceover person or a set designer. And did you know that your skills are super valuable and it's okay if you don't know like the tech stuff, you can learn the tech stuff, but we, we it's that feeling of we welcome you and we need more people like you because, you know, a lot of times you might not realize when you're putting your team together that it's all one color, you know? Interesting. So, so what I'm hearing from Catherine McKellar are suggestions to diversifying the teams uh, to be able to contribute more uh, to the space. And so for me, what, what's actually to kind of piggyback off of that? Now, for those who, of us who are already in the space, uh, it makes me wonder, you know, how do we leverage the power of immersive storytelling, which I think the biggest difference when you take uh, something from 2D to theme entertainment is now you are introducing uh, emotions and feelings uh, to all five senses uh, because you are now controlling the environment that your guests are stepping into. So in the context of empathy, I think, you know, and I think that's kind of what it is, is designed by empathy. You, you set up a world that they step into. Uh, what are the ways that we could help others understand uh, what culturally, what the Asian community is going through currently and what the Asian community is feeling? And I could just pose that to the, to the stage. Well, I wanted to just give a, a shout out to the experience uh, Book of Distance, which I think starts to cover the Japanese internment from the perspective of uh, Canadian Japanese internment. But I'm sure there's certainly lots of parallels between what happened in Canada and the United States. Um, I think one of the producers, actually, uh, David Oppenheim, is in the, in the audience here. But um, that, if you haven't seen that experience, it's an amazing experience. And I think here, uh, as an ally, I think a question that comes up um, is 
uh, just other, not just necessarily immersive pieces, because it is, I think, quite a lot to, I think, uh, catch up on a, a lot of different history and context uh, to be able to be fully up to speed with some of the, just the history of, of this issue. Uh, like I mentioned at the top, there's a documentary series on PBS called Asian Americans. It's a five-part series. It's free uh, on their website, and I've gone through the first three of the five episodes, and it's really quite excellent. Um, and so I don't know if there's other other resources for for folks to, to that if there's any other suggestions, I'd love to hear other books or movies or, or things to watch just to, just if we want to, you know, because I think there's a lot of, um, you kind of put into the position of sometimes of being like an educator and it's not, I don't want to, you know, create a dynamic where there's like an expectation to like, you know, be, to, to go through the whole history. But if there's other, other resources out there, I'd be, that's one of the things I'd be very keen to, to hear about as well. There are. The volunteer team at Stan Asians actually put together a pretty uh, comprehensive set of resources on stanwithasians.com, um, uh, including uh, the one you mentioned, Ken. So I'm glad you're already on it. Uh, but there's uh, about 17 documentaries um, that really breaks down different dynamics from within the Asian American experience. Um, and even some entertainment properties that we feel like in recent days uh, is very accessible, like the Farewell or Minari, that also paints a pretty good picture as to what the Asian American experience was like. And I think those are really great starting points. Panch, I think you're the, that PBS special is amazing. I started watching it, I think, about a year ago, but then it went behind a paywall, so I couldn't get past the first three episodes. But what I found really fascinating is, which is relevant to allies. Maureen, you're pretty quiet. It's hard to hear you. Talk like this. Is this better? That's Talk a lot like better. That. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Lot better. My headphones. Out. What I learned from that is how um, Asian Americans and the model myth, model minority myth, was created, and how um, Asian Americans were used as a way to um, actually create a class between races um, to actually be like, oh, look, Asians, we're going to prop Asians up as an example of why we should continue to be racist towards Black people, which is extremely disturbing to me. But the, it's like the Asian American experience, the, the African American experience, all of them, they're all interrelated. And I think like education about how racism kind of affects all communities that are not the dominant race is important so that it doesn't also divide the different races, but it, it can increase allyship so that we can like merge some of the um, movements together. So I think education is super important, but I think another thing that's really important is just representation, right? So it makes, it's a, like you guys were talking about like having Minari or even, even though there's like no Asian Americans in Nomadland, it was awesome that it was an Asian American director, like having more faces, people, in entertainment that look like um, look like us, I think it just makes it like it's the norm, right? When I first saw, saw um, Fresh Off the Boat and I saw Asian Americans on the screen, it made a huge difference to me because I'm like, oh, now I've made it. The fact that Hollywood has decided that I matter enough to put on something on the air broadcast on, on, on one of the major channels, that must mean that we've made it and people care about us. But I think it starts normalizing, right? for all Americans to see like, hey, this is 
uh, understanding that experience. So I think having more Asian characters, and that's something I think that we can immediately do in the immersive community um, when we are creating characters, create Asian American characters up there. Um, and not just in the film area, because really uh, the immersive industry is really focused, I think, a lot on gaming right now. So making a lot of um, Asian American characters in, in games. But Tipita, I know that you actually have done a lot of research because we were talking about this, about ways in which um, Tipita actually has um, actionable things that the Asian American community has come up with, such as like uh, volunteering or funding um, people to help with security in Chinatowns that I would love to hear Tipita talk about. Thanks, Maureen, for teeing me up. Exactly. Uh, but actually, I did want to answer one more thing for Kent. Uh, in terms of people that are looking for you know, ways to understand the Asian American experience uh, and to understand, you know, like the racism Asian Americans have faced, I would highly recommend Warrior. It is a television show that's behind a paywall. It's on HBO Max now, but it's, there's two seasons. It's based on the writings of Bruce Lee and this idea that, you know, Bruce Lee wanted to do a show about Asians, uh, about Chinese America or Chinese in America uh, and the Tong Wars in San Francisco Chinatown. And, you know, he wasn't able to do it at that time because of the way Hollywood was. And now, fortunately, you know, there's enough people in Hollywood that have clout and are able to create this show. And so it's like executive produced by Justin Lin from the Fast and Furious franchise and Bruce Lee's daughter. Um, and so, you know, I, I think it's, 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 of course, it does perpetuate certain stereotypes of, you know, Asians being martial artists and, you know, Asian whorehouses, because that was actually very prevalent in San Francisco at the time. So it does have it, but it actually honestly like talks a lot about like the racism, the Chinese Exclusion Act is, is talked about. And there's a lot of talk about like San Francisco and the political climate as well. So it's a very fascinating look at, um, you know, how Chinese were treated in America during the, you know, 1900s, or I guess 1890s, or something like that. Uh, but anyways. I believe. But yeah, I agree. Uh, That's a great show. Yeah, great, great show. show. Uh, but, uh, you know, speaking about, like, actions that you can take, I mean, I, I think, you know, directly, I mean, of course, there, there are things as immersive community, I think immersive storytelling and thinking about, like, oh, creating art that really represents us uh, and the experience that we're having during this difficult time, I think it could be very impactful and powerful, but directly doing things like, you know, uh, donating to stop AP, uh, AAPI hate, which is doing a great job of terms of like having resources for documenting all of the hate crimes that are happening, resources for, you know, letting people report the hate crimes and all of those things, very important. You know, they're on the website, you know, there's also like resources for like legal funds and things like that. But then, uh, you know, like Maureen mentioned too, that, you know, thinking about how there's opportunities to do like, and I know it's tough during COVID, you know, we don't really want to be out in groups and doing these kinds of things, but being able to have volunteer groups that are patrolling Chinatown or being able to like, you know, walk with elderly folks so that they don't have to be alone. Um, I think, you know, those are the things that are very important. And, you know, I, I've been seeing, it was, uh, I think it was volunteer firefighters or, or, or the uh, San Francisco firefighters in particular were volunteering in their free time to kind of, you know, help patrol the streets. Uh, and, and so I think, you know, there's ways to donate or support these efforts to really get people, because I, I think, again, it's not just about policing. I think it's really about the community taking action. And even at an individual level, I think, you know, the thing that bothered me the most about a lot of these reports were while people were being attacked, they asked for help and no one responded. 
and you know, I, I know there's like the bystander effect and all these things, but you know, just being able to say, hey, look, like trying to stand up and trying to like, you know, speak out when you see things happen, um, you know, it means a lot. And you know, I think there have been some uh, reports now of people standing up, and I think that's important. But I think you know, that's something that everyone should be mindful of and be prepared to act. And Tipida, thank you for that. Uh, as you're speaking, uh, I think I got into my extended reality of just uh, asking a, a whole coalition of uh, our Asian community friends and allies uh, dress up as 1890s gangsters with axes on our hands patrolling Chinatown. I think that will definitely keep Chinatown safe. And so <laughs> I, know, I just got into that mode. But uh, Jacob wanted me to reset the room real quick. Uh, I totally blanked on this, but Jacob is quiet because he's actually uh, recording this for the No Proscenium uh, podcast. And so I want to just make sure everyone knows uh, with the red dot that this is being recorded. And uh, we're here today to do a live brainstorm uh, with the immersive community uh, hosted by the Extended Reality uh, Club uh, to address uh, the current rising uh, crime, uh, hate crimes against the Asian community. And today is uh, March 26, where we're asking uh, the greater community and our allies to take a day off work and uh, learn about what is happening uh, in so many different facets. We've had so many different talks today, 30 plus hours of programming, and this is one of them. And I'm super excited to keep this going. Michaela, you were saying? Oh, um, thank you for that room refresh, Carl. And I just want to also point a few small uh, sort of taglines to some things people talked about. I think. Any person out there who does not identify as AAPI and is interested to learn and explore more about sort of the AAPI history, one thing I really want to emphasize is, you know, there's been a lot of questions of where have you all been? You know, you all have been so quiet or, you know, you know, why are you all now just starting to rise up and now because the focus is on you? And I would say that what's interesting about the mainstream media is that we have been a part of so many civil rights movements. We have like bolstered as an AAPI community throughout history. We have been very, even the term Asian American was something that people came together to, to realize and recognize and understand and fight for. So there has been a very strong AAPI um, activism that has happened all over the United States. Our history books and what we all tend to consume as day-to-day -day sort of historical content just happens to have a lot of um, deletion of that um, activism. So that's one thing I wanted to point out. And so if you're interested, like some of the some of the amazing archives of AAPI activism that you can find through places like the Museum of Chinese American, um, as well as the other AAPI museums throughout the U.S., um, like the, I uh, can't think of the one that's like a cool, like a Luke or cool, I can't remember. I will look it up and, and reping that. But um, another thing I wanted to discuss also is I think what's important to recognize is that we are not a monolith. So, you know, if you could do anything looking backwards, but also looking forward, um, you know, just because there's a very clear ideology around what a Chinese American or a Korean American or Japanese American looks like and sounds like doesn't necessarily mean we all fall under those specific umbrellas. There's Filipino, um, there's Indonesian, there's Cambodian, there's Vietnamese, and there's so many to learn and explore and discuss. So I would just ask for moving forward that we never make the assumption 
that we are a monolith and that all of us have such unique cultures, histories, backgrounds, colonialism, um, and all of us come from very specific heritages. And I think one thing to also specify, I've been working as a consultant with certain companies and they were like, oh, we should create Buddha stickers for a bunch of Asian Americans. And I'm like, Asian Americans are just as like Texan and Californian and um, New Yorker as your next person. Like some might identify with a Buddha statue, but others might feel more inclined to seeing a McDonald's logo, you know? And I think like that's something we really want to, I would really like to emphasize as like a 26 year old Asian American. Uh, I'm not separate as in I came from a country. Like I am of myself of just as Americanized as someone maybe next to me who grew up in the same environment but might not have an AAPI background. So some things to think about when when like exploring and educating yourself about the AAPI community. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, there's people of mixed heritage. So someone might have, um, you know, a Japanese grandmother, but the rest of their family is Caucasian, or maybe they're mixed Korean Japanese, mixed Korean uh, Chinese, mixed Filipino. Like, you can't really assume what someone's history is going to be like. Maybe they grew up in Hong Kong and moved to the U.S. as an adult, or maybe they came from Singapore when they were a child. So, um also want to second the shout out to the Museum of Chinese in America. Um, if your local area has uh, an Asian art museum, a Pacific art museum, like when this is all over, go check it out, see what's going on, see what the programming is. Uh, I actually saw a really, really powerful immersive dance show at MOCA uh, a couple years ago where we were using the streets of Chinatown as like the backdrop of the theatrical performance. So. We were in Columbus Park with the Chinese grandmas doing Tai Chi, and then we were in a hair salon, and we were also going in like into a restaurant, and sometimes the characters were only speaking in Mandarin, and so a lot of the people couldn't understand what was happening. So, um, like, kind of going back to what Kent and Carl were saying, uh, you know, and also what Maureen was saying, how do we get the stories out there? How do we get people making new stories? I think um, working with the local community organizations working with an Asian art museum or Asian history museum in your area might be really powerful. Like if you've got something and you want to show it, I know that right now MOCA is collecting stories and art about the response against this, uh, you know, anti-Asian American hate for a possible exhibit. So that is another way that I think the immersive community can help out is like, what's your response to this? How do you feel about this? Um, how do we get this art out into the world? Um, and another thing that I want to shout out, uh, pre-COVID, they had just announced that they were going to bring K-pop the musical to Broadway. And I was so excited because when I saw it off Broadway, I want to say they were 19 cast members 18 were Asian or Asian American, all sorts of mixed heritages, uh, people who grew up in the States, who people who didn't grow up in the States, and was all about um, feeling othered and identity and fitting in. And a lot of the kind of themes that are part of um, a lot of people's experience growing up um, as uh, AAPI. So I really hope that it makes it to Broadway. I don't know if we can do something to um, you know, when uh, Boogie came out, I know a lot of people wanted to support Eddie Huang, so they bought movie tickets, uh, even though they weren't actually going to go to the opening. So if there's any way that, like, we can support the folks who are putting a musical about K-pop 
on Broadway with Asian and Asian American actors, singers, dancers. Like, I am all for that. And oh, by the way, that was an immersive musical. That was so awesome. I didn't know about that. Um, my gosh, I can't wait till it comes back. I, I saw it back. twice. Yeah. It was oh so good. Gosh. I can't wait to see it. How, yeah, we could get how, back. How did, how, did, how did it work? What was the immersive aspect of it? I'd love to see it too. Yeah. So when you um, came into this off-Broadway theater, you got a wristband and the wristband had a different name of one of the members of the Korean boy band that the story was about. And then when the show started, you had to go follow your character and he would take you into his dressing room and give you like a little bit of backstory and what they were worried about or what they really wanted out of their career, like all of their hopes and dreams. And so it was kind of um, an on rails uh, dark ride experience where you started with a boy band member and then dependent upon what track you were on, you would then visit the dressing room of the quote unquote aging uh, K-pop star because she was 26 and was like being forced into retirement. And um, I, I believe that the actress I saw was Ashley Park, who is currently in the show Emily in Paris. And she ended up leaving the show to go star in Mean Girls. So that's like the caliber of talent they had. There was also a girl group who was going through um, a lot of identity crisis issues around not speaking with a Korean accent or having to get plastic surgery to make the bridges of their noses um, taller or to, you know, how to interview well, how to dress well, being told that they needed to lose weight. So a lot of um, that kind of like pop star machinery, but infused with this idea that in order to succeed as a K-pop star, you had to be more westernized and they were trying to get the girl group to be more popular in America. So it brought up all of these things about cultural assimilation and the fact that like, if you were born in Korea, but you grew up in America, people who lived in Korea their entire lives would see you as the other, but also people who were not Korean in the United States would also see you as the other. So a lot of really interesting topics. And I, I you know, I, I don't see these things um, really explored. And so it was just so powerful to see it done in an immersive medium where you were up close and personal um, and to, to have the musical part of it also be like really well integrated. Uh, Max Vernon and Helen Park, I think, did the music. And then she went on to actually write all the music for that new movie on Netflix. I'm blanking on the name. Um, I think it's called Over the Moon. So you've got like Broadway level talent working in this um, immersive medium. And I hope it retains a lot of the immersive aspects as it moves to Broadway. Right now, it's, I think, a big question mark because they announced and then COVID hit. But yeah, um, going to back to what Maureen was saying, like representation and the stories and trying to give people a little taste of what some of the struggles are, I think can be really powerful when it's done in this really tactile, visceral, like all five senses medium. I want wow. to mention that outside of immersive, <laughs> the thing that has helped me the most is not, it's not about the immersive community, it's simply people who ask me, how are you feeling, <laughs> right? Just having people ask me, hey, are you experiencing this? Do you have friends that are experiencing this? Is this real? Like, are you scared? And just hearing that and having people reach out make me, makes me feel not alone. Right. And, and that I'm like American and accepted. And then I get to actually tell them things that I realize I haven't told other people, like how I stopped in Whole Foods and asked, 
like approach and they meant well, but someone came up and was like, I just want you to know that I don't think your people started the virus. I'm like, uh, thanks, but like, <laughs> anyways, um, or Kane, who's in my company um, in New York City getting coughed on or his brother getting sh his face shoved into the, um, in the subway station or <clears throat> my friends in Oakland who are afraid to go into Chinatown um, or all of our fear for our parents um, and worried about them going out. So it's just being able to share that because a lot of my friends, they say, how are you feeling? But then they ask if I've experienced it and being able to tell them that I have experienced that, it, it, it's, um, it gives me relief. And it's a release for me to be able to share something that I wouldn't, like normally I would just share that with other Asian Americans, right? I wouldn't necessarily share that with, with other people and, and being able to say that, it, it just, it's cathartic. So that's just a simple thing that everybody in this room can do is just ask your Asian American friends how they're feeling. Can, can I chime in really quick? I, I think Marie brought up a very good point. I think um, I have uh, quite a few friends didn't even realize there were racism against Asian American. So because I think hardly there were any conversation even about, the, for instance, I'm, I came to the States when I was a teenager, right? In Ohio, I was the first Chinese in my high school, right? Uh, definitely back then I was facing lots of uh, just uh, racism, but I didn't even realize these were racism. And so I have tons of story that my past, my experience, but I I, I hardly uh, find like any like uh, my American friends who are not Asian even bother to ask well, what that was like, right? Well, how, how did you kind of um, be able to put up with that, right? So I think these kind of caring maybe at the beginning is a little bit like difficult to ask someone because it seems to be a little bit sensitive and personal but I think just during this really really difficult time really checking with your um, um, Asian American friend really gonna really help them to go through this and another thing I think about immersive content uh, at least uh, in the past three years what I'm really trying to do is really to bring Asian creator because they are representing something right they have a different type of background Background, different type of point of view about the world. So um, just uh, even for, for the time being, I'm in, in the United States, I at least heard so many really fascinating immigrant story, like Asian immigrant story, like how their grandma came to the United States you know, struggle so much to bring the whole family here. These are amazing story tellings. And I think for immersive media, I think why the you know the book of distance was like really really compelling, and um, the 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 film Ken was mentioning is really you're able to teleport yourself. You put yourself in another person's life, another person's memory, and that's just uh, um, gonna really make you know the story pop. And I, I feel that's like the point of having this immersive media is really for us to able to empathize with other people's culture, other people's identity, other people's uh, uh, just their, their memories and their stories. So um, I'm looking forward to maybe collaborate with other people because I already started to document some of the immigrant story. And uh, I, I think it will be really, really great to share to lots of people who might not necessarily know much about it. And even, you know, like five minutes ago, we were talking about what type of resource we can share to the community. It seems like quite limited. 
I, I think really for us in the immersive space, we, we need to really uh, push the boundary and be a little bit brave. To be honest, I'm very intimidated. Like every time when I submit a proposal to a foundation, because my usually the story is kind of coming from my Asian artists who are having a type of the representation of uh, Asian community. I feel intimidated because I don't know if that's gonna be too niche for the um, the the judge to look at it. So I think it just really need to create a very uh, safe environment and feel like uh, we need a little bit courage to keep pushing this um, forward. Thank you. Thank you, folks. Just that'll be good quick second for a quick reset again. Uh, welcome everybody to a room hosted uh, by Extended Reality Club for uh, Stand With Asians. Uh, today is March 26th. Uh, we are asking our community and allies to take a day off with intention uh, today to support the API community uh, by one, uh, working with employee relations counselors and those in position of power to condemn the acts of hate against API community and take on projects that positively impact the API community. Get the word out by sharing some of the assets you see online and these talks uh, and ha continue having conversations with uh, friends uh, and allies. And then also really just to start start engaging uh, folks and, and, and ideating on, on conversations like this on how we could do things better and keep this going uh, further than just a one day thing. And so why why March 26? And so just give you guys background on March 26 is it was the Naturalization Act of 1790, which was the first uniform rules that granted United States citizenship by naturalization, which was signed to law on this date. The law limited naturalization to free white persons of good character, which excluded Native Americans, indentured servants, slaves, black, uh, free blacks, and later Asians. And the racial restriction against Asians was the last to be eliminated in 1952, which wasn't a long time ago. Uh, and then we also touched base on the internment camps, uh, not to mention uh, 1871, there was a uh, Chinatown massacre where uh, out of the 196 Chinese people in, in uh, LA, uh, 20 of them were, were killed and murdered. and uh, and. Another topic we covered today was uh, Vincent Chin, who was a young Chinese American man who was murdered in Detroit by two white auto workers in 1982. Uh, his death and trial where his killers were sentenced to um, less than $4,000 fine, three year probation and no jail time. And that was also another uh, Asian American movement uh, where after national civil rights uh, movement happened with two federal civil rights trials, uh, Vincent's killers were found not guilty and innocent of any racial intent. And so, yeah, no, I can't share that there was actually an immersive piece that I would love to hear more about, about internment camps, but there's actually a lot of American history that we could pull from. So yeah, we'd love to bring it back to the audience. Uh, tip of that, I think you were next. Yeah, I, I, I just have two things I wanted to say. Like one, I 100% agree with Maureen in terms of like allyship and, you know, checking in on your friends and people that you know. But I think honestly, even more important or just as important, I don't wanna say more important, but is having these conversations without Asians about Asian violence. Like I, I, I think, you know, there are places where, you know, non-Asian people get together and they can talk about these things. And, you know, I, I think it's important for allies to represent for us on our behalf in places where we can't be, to really explain to people, yes, this is really happening. And yes, this is really fucked up. And, and you know, I think it's, it's important to know the history, 
what's happening now, the attacks, like you see these videos, you know, these clips of, you know, grandparents, you know, aunts and uncles just getting attacked for no reason, no provo- no provocation. And it's just disgusting and disturbing. And, you know, more people need to know that this is an epidemic, uh, you know, this is happening, you know, whether it's people taking advantage of an opportunity or whether they're really, you know, pushed by this, like, you know, rhetoric from the ex-president, like the result is the same, that Asian, especially elderly Asians are being like really put at risk, killed, you know, beat up, and it's just not right. And really we need more people to speak out about it and more people to understand what's going on. Completely agree. And that's why we, we believe stand with Asians is a very powerful statement because there was a bunch of Asians in our echo chamber uh, saying stand with Asians. I don't think it'd be as powerful. And so, yeah, completely agree that it should be our allies that really um, we, we could ask and for this kind of support. Uh, Teek, I believe you're next. Um, I don't think I've introduced myself. Um, I don't know if I'm supposed to do that now, but um, yeah, I'm Teek. I'm an immersive uh, creator. And um, you know, I, I feel like my, like, I'm a first generation v- South Vietnam refugee, um, ended up in Texas. Um, and I feel like the immersive, like, I guess I found the, the medium to be perfect to illustrate the parallels between East and West. I mean, uh, having immigrant parents, I felt like that was the world I existed in, which was just kind of in the middle, not quite American and not quite Vietnamese. Um, so I, I illustrated that in a piece that I did in t- 2019 um, that premiered at Sundance. But anyway, I I guess what I'm what I want to say about like just the in what the immersive community can do is like, I don't know. I just feel like it goes so much further back than just these, this like, even this past year, this has been going on for so long, like so long. And I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what I'm trying to say here. I think that one thing that I noticed in the immersive community is really just like pointing out whenever you see really obscene uh, sexual images of Asian women, because the sex work problem is a fucking problem. And I'm pissed because my mom is someone that has been raped by soldiers, you know, in Vietnam. This is a problem. This is a major problem. Like, I don't know. I, I'm tired of seeing the story of the Vietnam War being glamorized in Steven Spielberg movies and without ever hearing from the perspective of a Vietnamese person, ever. Can you name one occurrence, one movie, one TV show, one storyline where you have heard from a South Vietnamese person about the Vietnam War? Like I, this is the kind of story that I think needs to be told the side of the East, the sides of the other that you have been using 
as a storyline while we've been invisible. And I, I don't know, maybe I should stop talking. <laughs> I just want to say thank you for sharing, because I know there was a lot that you shared in there that um, was really vulnerable and personal. So I just want to honor that and, and give you and share with you my gratitude about that. I would say that's a big part of the work I do in documentary and journalism, especially in the immersive and interactive mediums. For me, it's about making sure the people behind the table and in front of the camera look and feel the same with same alignments of values and same alignments of morals and how they want to see the story be portrayed and told. Because I agree, there's a huge discrepancy amongst the storytellers who have the titles of directors and producers and production companies versus the types of people they're telling those stories about and those in and of themselves get bastardized and they get changed around and they get told from a very specific lens. And so um, thank you for sharing that. And thank you for, for speaking out about that. I forced Estella to come up because I'm a big fan. Uh, Estella. Marine, <laughs> Marine, you're still really quiet. Cool. Really <laughs> I keep on putting you back in. Uh, I said I forced Estella to come on because I think she's badass and everything she says is always amazing not to put any pressure on you at all Estella <laughs> anyway. oh, hey, everybody. I um thank you I wanted to make it um I just was at uh, a stop Asian hate uh protest right now <laughs> so I'm just like I have it all fueled up right now. <laughs> um I made a poster um I posted it on Twitter it is a red poster with a Chinese dragon, Chinese ornamental border, and it has holding a sign that says, not your age, not your model minority. <laughs> so um, fucking proud of that right now. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, okay, just tapping in about uh, the immersive world. And I'm driving right now, so if I don't see your like mute unmutes, um, I, I am feeling your spirits. Um, immersive space the thing that i think i i am thinking about a lot as it relates to the tech space immersive space it's like i'm sure teak you feel this way too it's just like there's not enough asian creators in this space um and michaela as well like we talked about this before and it's like you just feel like you have the weight you have to carry this weight of what it means to be asian or minority in this space and there's all these feelings that i have right now about like specifically the bit of the model minority myth and how that is reinforced in tech of how we are allowed to be in tech but other bipoc people are not um or it's like less accessible, that's a huge issue um, as it relates to diversity and just making things a bit more equal for people. Um, for those that don't understand the model minority myth, it's that um, it's, a, it's a very divisive social economic system that was created by white supremacy to pit Asians against, it's a very anti-Black um, thing. So like, Asians, uh, specifically East Asians, so Japanese, Koreans, and Chinese were um, allowed to succeed in America um, in the 50s and 60s um, so that there could be this model minority. 
to then tell the other dark-skinned people like, well, how come like these minorities are working hard and they're succeeding? Why can't you work harder? Um, but with that comes it's it's very very kind of fucked up, the like kind of I don't have the right words like really repressive persona like you have as a woman you have to be quiet you have to be submissive in that model minority but if you can't speak up um i had to unlearn all that stuff growing up door to like be able to speak and like do the work that i do and express myself in my art which in itself being an artist as a chinese person is already really hard <laughs> um i don't really have any clear-cut thesis to my statements right now I'm just feeling the feelings right now so thanks for listening to me <laughs> but I think that's why it's like a lot of people don't think that there is racism against Asians because of this model minority thing it's because we're like disincentivized to speak out it's like we were allowed to be successful right but who is the one allowing us exactly. to be successful right like it's um so it's interesting because it's like, oh, I don't want to speak out. I don't want to rock the boat. But at the same time, I want to rock the boat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I stopped and I stopped driving for a moment. So I can just talk some more. <laughs> um, so the things that I think about in tech, like I truly believe that if we can liberate Black people, then we can liberate everybody. I strongly believe that if we can get more Black people into tech, we can make it more um, diverse and more equal in in innovation. Um because they're the most oppressed group in our society. And if we can help lift others with our privilege as Asian people or with white, as white people or white adjacent, like we can, we can do this. Um, I strongly believe that. I'd also throw in indigenous people too into that yes, collective community of, of getting them into the tech industry and I want to shout out Crocs which is an XR cooperative that is for the black imagination and for the black visionary um, and they do incredible work and I have the honor to collaborate with them but yes agree on all ends and making people worker owners is going to be super important in that movement and just to piggyback for Teak um, one of my friends did a documentary she is half Vietnamese half white it's called Nailed It. It's about uh, the nail salon community that rose up out of the Vietnam, Vietnam War. And it does speak about her mother, or, or sorry, her father's um, experience in the Vietnam War. So I just wanted oh, nice. to throw that out there as something for you to check out. Yeah. Um, another author that's a really great one about um, is uh, Viet Thanh Nguyen. Um, he just has a... It, from a perspective of just um yeah he just has an interesting perspective on things as an asian american i would love to hear from nanea who grew up in hawaii and is um you know, has a hapa experience and uh, how that's affected your your views on what's been going on hey maureen thank you so much uh you know i was really just wanting to listen, but um, I was actually very moved by what Catherine said about um, because being I'm Hawaiian and Chinese uh, and Irish and Welsh, and my mother comes from Gross Point, Michigan. You can't get any waspier than that. 
And when I was a kid visiting her family, they wouldn't call me by my whole by my name because it was too ethnic. And when I would um, be in Hawaii with my family there, and they're very hardcore militant Hawaiians, you know, in the sovereignty movement, and you know, very much about indigenous rights for the people there. And you know, I don't know that a lot of people know that the Hawaiian um, uh, uh, government was overthrown on January seventeenth, eighteen ninety-two, and it was taken illegally by. Uh, businessmen from America that had enough power to bring in the military without a presidential order, and they threw our queen in jail. And I think that's created a lot of racial hostility in Hawaii toward Haoles. Um, Haole is the derogatory term that we use for white people there, and it actually means ha, uh, means breath, and ole means no. So it's like no breath or no soul. And so, you know, I never really felt like I fit in 100% there as, you know, having a white mother as well, especially with such a hardcore family that's very active in Hawaiian politics there. And, you know, I it's been an interesting experience for me as somebody who's always just kind of felt in the middle and felt like the other. And being a woman working in tech, <laughs> you... Um, I uh, even feel more like that. And I never really wanted to step up and take responsibility for being the woman in tech or the indigenous woman or the uh, uh, Asian American um, uh, Pacific Islander Hapa. Um, but I'm feeling like to remain silent, um, I don't wanna take away from other voices but I do feel that there are a lot of people who feel kind of in the middle and we don't feel like we belong to any tribe, do you know? And yet, you know, there's a wanting of a connection there. Um, the wonderful thing about being in Hawaii is that, you know, being multiracial is very common there and you're very accepted uh, in many ways. Um, but there's also a lot of pressure to be like everyone else. You know, nothing ever really changes there. And there is a reverse racism that they don't talk about a lot, like, you know, with Kill Howley Day and anybody who grew up there as a white kid in school in Hawaii can, you know, talk about the trauma around that. It's kind of the opposite. Um, and I do think, you know, the fact that Barack Obama grew up in that kind of environment where black people are kind of on a rung above white people um, from a social um, standpoint in Hawaii, you know, it makes sense that our first multi-ethnic um, president or, you know, black president would come from an environment where he wasn't like treated with that typical experience. So I don't know. I think there's a lot of conversations that are so important happening right now. And I really appreciated Catherine kind of calling out the people like myself who just kind of feel like, you know, baseless or homeless in many ways or tribeless. And that's uh, resonates so much. Um, the whole homeless uh, resonates because when I was in high school, we were trying to start a record label and we wanted to call it. Uh, homeless records because we're a bunch of Asian American kids who didn't feel like we belong in Asia and we also didn't feel like we're American either. And so that really uh, resonates. So I'll just take this moment to reset the room.
uh, once again, I want to thank the Extending Reality ARVR Club for hosting this, uh, Stand with Asians, uh, March 26th. Today, we are calling uh, the Greater Americas to just take a day off work to talk about uh, the rising violence in the Asian Amer against the Asian American community. And there's been a lot of talks today covering anywhere from uh, Black and Asian in solidarity to covering historical events like Ms. Chin to uh, women's uh, position in the matter because women are actually assaulted 3x more than males in the Asian American community and then seniors, I think, are at the top of that. Um, so tonight, we're actually going to close out uh, around 9 p.m. with uh, Kwaku Mandela, grandson of uh, Nelson Mandela, as well as uh, Brian Wong, who was the group president at Alibaba, a uh, group who took uh, Alibaba Public in the States, as well as MC Jin, who was the first Chinese American to sign a major record label uh, from like a global perspective. So we'd love to invite everyone to join tonight. Uh, I have to run through another uh, room. And so I'm going to hand off to uh, Catherine McKella to continue this brainstorm. I just want to just show my appreciation on behalf of all the volunteers that's been working so hard to make this Stand With Asians uh, initiative uh, come alive. And we're hoping uh, today was just the beginning of an of a, of a ongoing conversation. And thank you to all the allies in the room. Thank you, Carl. Um, Thanks, Carl. Thank you, Carl. Nene, I just Thanks, want Carl. to offer you a community. Uh, there's the Hapa Magazine, which is in the midst of transforming itself into the mixed Asian media community. Um, and there's a festival in September for mixed Asian media creative sort of festival to celebrate multiracial and so if you feel like you do not have that tribe or that community i'd like to just offer that as a potential extension to uh what you're searching for thank you so much you know where i have really felt my tribe is working in tech and software development that's how i know maureen and a lot of people on this stage and in the room and there's such a great spirit of people coming together to build something in software and the more that we can collaborate with a diverse community i think we can actually make a difference and uh, i would love to hear people's ideas on that that's what excited me about this conversation because of the power of immersion to really affect people emotionally uh you know without being heavy-handed but really take them through that journey um I think is a really something we can make a real difference in as a community. So thank you for that, though. I would love that info. Thank you, Michaela. No problem. Um, I know we had Veronica. I know Jean uh, Frederick's been here for a while. So I want to I want to lend the mic over to Veronica first and then Jean Frederick and then Juliana, just so we have a um, uh, uh an order, and I also want to remind people that we are recording today's session, so this will be going on the No Proscenium podcast. So, if anyone who is about to speak want wanted or needed that heads up, I wanted to make sure I gave you that before you jumped in. So, passing the word. Uh, yeah. Um, I just wanted to add a comment because I know earlier, um, uh, one of you mentioned about uh, musicals featuring Asian Americans. Uh, and Teek mentioning about uh, certain films and media having negative depictions of Vietnam. Um, and I want to know if anybody has ever seen the musical Miss Saigon. Uh, and if so, what were your reactions to it? And did you like feel any frustration uh, uh, from beginning, middle, and 
and um yeah because yeah uh yeah because i think it just shows like a i felt like that musical just felt like it had this negative um just had like this negative look around like the vietnam war and the protagonist and the ending that that happens in the story and it's just yeah i just yeah and yeah i just wanted to know if anybody ever had that same frustration that i had with the, what was your frustration with it oh well there it's just had these weird i know it's like based around like the war and time but like the the fact that the um the main protagonist and what happens at the end of it and like it felt like the bad guy got away with it at the end i don't know it just it just had this like just it just showed it i feel like you're just speaking that there's not that many like musicals based around you know asian female protagonists and it's just i feel like this is like the only one that's, like, yeah really there's iconic. only one story <laughs> right 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 and it just happens to depict you know yeah in this sucks. situation yeah, yeah. And, um, i think you bring up a really good yeah. point about stories involving AAPI people or Asian people that are not written by AAPI or Asian people, yeah. where you end up with white savior complex or misogyny. I mean, you are not the only one um, who's felt this way. You know, if you look up, um, there have been some editorials over the last few years about how problematic that this piece of work is. And so, uh, yeah, definitely you're not alone. And I think this is something that the immersive community can try really hard not to fall into the trap that film, TV, science fiction has fallen into in terms of kind of centering um, minority voices versus relying on things like the white gaze. Yeah. And I want to jump in because I do have a performance background. And so I know a lot of people who portrayed themselves as Asian Americans in Miss Saigon's recent Broadway revival. And it's sort of a similar topic to the people that portray the um, African community in Book of Mormon, where you're like, well, I have a four year degree in performance art in Broadway and musical theater. And I'm sitting here portraying probably the most reverse thing I would ever want to portray for my community, aka, you know, a comfort woman. And I'm not even, most of those performers aren't even Vietnamese. They're mainly Filipino. Um, and it's a very problematic narrative. But I do want to say, unfortunately, it's one of the only ways Asian Americans can make a decent living performing on Broadway with those sort of standardized shows. So there's a give and a take that is just awful. And so I think going back to Catherine's point about K-pop, the musical, um, like the people behind the table funding these projects are just as important as the people in front of the camera or the people writing the script. And it's interesting because I want to shout out Maureen and Namu because like I thought that was such a beautiful portrayal of an AAPI-centered narrative in a place like Sundance Film Festival and uh, South by Southwest, I believe, that, you know, we saw there being funding and support and um and even, you know, that authenticity of like, we can tell an AAPI story without a comfort woman or without the trauma and the violence of what we know in our day-to-day -day lives. And I think that that's a beautiful part of celebrating Asian American Pacific Islander joy and creativity. And I also want to make sure we 
we emphasize that that's a part of this process of what can the immersive community do, which is support us in our joy, support us in our creativity, just as much as we can support each other in the historical internment camps, in the historical violence, in the historical racism, in the current racism, um, because that's just as valuable to who we are as a community, as is all of our traumas and our and our frustration points and our sexualized narratives as well. But isn't that playing into it? Like just by saying like to just be happy that we're being portrayed in the media at all is enough for us to be seen. Like, I don't think so. Like, I don't think that using us as props um, is fair to us. Um, I mean, I get what you're saying, and, and I'm, I'm not saying that my, my feelings are isolated at all. I say it because I know it is universal. And, but I'm, I'm also fighting against what um, we're typically having to be portrayed to be, which are just uh, filler in a narrative from the perspective of an American rather than someone of Asian descent um, in this specific case. So I don't but know. I think that that's why it's important that the people behind the table are representative of the people in front of the camera or in front of the audience to avoid, to avoid shows like Miss Saigon, to keep shows like K-pop musical and pushing forward. And K-pop musical is obviously bringing up a lot of negative emotions, but it's also a celebration of joy and creativity, not to use as props, but to share that. I think this is the thing. Most people are like, well, does AAPI sell? And it's like, it shouldn't be about does AAPI sell. It should be about the fact that we're all human and we all have a human story. Like when we did Latau as a producer and co-creator, I know that I'm not a Filipino, I'm a Filipino American. So I hired a Filipino animation studio. I hired a Filipino score composer so that it would be as authentic and real to the Filipino culture as it is to what we were trying to portray through VR, which is this um, issue about children having to swim to school in the Philippines. So, and I didn't ask, you know, for a white institution to, to give us their blessing. It was more of like, no, I'm like, as the producer, because I have the power of where the money goes, I want three fourths of the budget to go back into the Philippines. I don't want the whole budget just to stay in America. And that's a celebration, I think, of AAPI power and joy, just as much as like the negative parts of our history should also be portrayed and shared. Um, because we are holistic humans that have both emotions of joy and celebration, as well as terror and torment and I don't want I think for me I don't want our our narrative to only be set in terror and torment as much as I agree. possible I agree I'm not saying that that's our only stories though uh Jean did you have something that you wanted to add I saw you unmute yes uh thank you very much um this has been a fascinating conversation so far uh so a little bit of background um I grew up in India in uh, up until I was 12. Uh, I was first in Bangkok in kindergarten and then through uh, New Delhi uh, until 1989. 
So I grew up actually in an Asian country that was pre-Westernized. Um, I then moved back to Switzerland at that point and was introduced to the Western world in Switzerland. I mean, yeah, no, not really. Uh, and then I moved here into the United States in 2006. So I've got a bit of the Im immigrant experience. I've got a bit of the being a minority in a different place and so on and so, so, so forth. Um, what I haven't heard a lot in this conversation is anything about virtual or augmented reality or XR in general. I've heard a lot about the Asian experience, the Asian American experience, which lends me to believe that potentially the problem is not so much the platform as the message and that the stories are still being hammered out and we haven't had as much of or as solid a foundation of narratives in this particular society as in others. So I heard a comparison made to, for example, black Americans and so on, and how Asians were elevated uh, to be an example of a good minority versus a black minority. Black Americans completely transformed white culture insofar as there is hardly an example of pre-jazz white music left, uh, for example. And so their impact on the white culture has been completely transformative. And I will even speak to French culture because the French actually had to pass a law to play French music on the radio station because the French people much preferred American quote unquote black music to their own for example, as, as one example of one culture dominating the medium of another. So my good friend, uh, well, from a long time ago, uh, Aisha Khan is a narrative designer uh, in a game studio. And don't ask me which one right now, I'll look it up. Um, but she was working on Lord of the Game, Lord of the Rings Online and stuff like that back when. And uh, got into the games industry through her English major by telling stories. And I think that's where we need to start here because so far as a white American with a European background, honestly, if you, if you ask me about Asian Americans telling stories, I'm gonna still keep pointing at George Takei talking about his childhood in an internment camp because apart from that, and Crazy Rich Asians, which I've only seen one half of the first episode of, and what else? Um, I need you guys to write more content. I'm I'm gonna stop you there. That is, I'm, that is not. That sorry. is not so much about the pain. I'm having some issues with just hearing all that right now. Um, it just. That's really painful to hear right now. Like so, wait, it's it's on us. Yeah, to transform like the culture. Our, it's like cool. So it's the problem is that we don't have a narrative. I don't think that's an accurate representation of what's happening here. <laughs> we like as a Chinese American, I know my family history. My family has contributed to this nation for generations, and I couldn't have. A family, my family couldn't be here because of the Chinese Exclusion Act. Like my fucking great great grandfather built the railroads here. He could not stay. Uh, if you want to relate this to 
VR and AR, maybe look into the content that's being created in Asia. Um, it sounds like maybe you can only see the content that's being made here in the U.S. There's a lot of incredible VR narratives being made in China, specifically in, in their bubble that they can't publish out of. There's incredible content there. Um, I just needed to stop you because that that was just really frustrating to hear that. Yeah, and I, I don't know if uh, Jean was here for the whole time, but we have mentioned a number of different pieces, including the Book of Distance, Namu and Lato, um, you know, just just in this conversation. But yeah, you're right, Estella, that there are lots of, uh, I know Eddie Lau and um, there's like lots Samsara, of- Samsara, just one Sam South by, there was yeah. some amazing stuff at Venice that came out of Asia. Bodyless and Samsara. Yeah, so that's not like, not really a close listening. Also- really weird energy to bring in like very yeah, accusatory and and, yeah. and there was a there's also just a lot of references that were shared at the top in terms of stand with asians slash uh, dot com slash learn tons of uh videos and documentaries minori was also mentioned uh as a not it's not immersive vr but yeah just sort of i, I think without basis and um yeah. Anyway, well, you Thank have you. a lot wanted... of people on stage who have made great content and continued Thank you for saying that, Ken. I appreciate that. All right. Well, maybe we should uh, move on to the next uh, uh, person, Juliana. Uh, why don't you go ahead and share your thoughts on uh, what the immersive, co immersive community can do to stand with Asians? Um, hi, everyone. I am an immersive VR artist, and I'm first generation from Malaysia. And um, so I have different pieces of Asian connectivity within me, um, uh, Thai and and from you know uh, Hong Kong and from different Indonesia, Malaysia, diff different pieces. A uh, bit of Nepal here and there. Um, you know what? Um, so when the Black Lives Matter situation exploded uh, last year, I I had to I had to look at it and kind of go okay. What is it that we as as Asians can benefit from this situation in terms of improving ourselves? So typically, I went and and first in, instead of looking at what's going on in the outside, I started looking in, at what was going on within the inside. And I, I have to give you an example. I had the a really good fortune of going to Japan two years ago. And was able to go sightseeing around the place. And I noticed that there were some areas where, because of the color of my skin, um, I'm South Asian, so I'm, a, I'm not light, I'm not dark. I, I, I couldn't really define myself, except by uh, some people's efforts to bar me from going into particular areas, like restaurants and nightclubs, because, quote unquote, I wasn't light enough. And... Um, it really, it really hurt me a lot. It really surprised me that there was this real sense of colonialism still that was um, sort of perpetuated by some of the people there. And that there was a preference for people coming from Korea and from Japan and from other Asian areas that looked more, uh, that, look, that were perceived as being lighter skinned. So what I did during that Black Lives Matter movement was I conducted 
workshops, well, a private one for groups of Asians where we talked about um, racism and prejudice within the Asian community. And it was a hard talk. It was really, really difficult because uh, it opened up a can of worms where there were some offenses or some unforgiveness between um, regionals or countries such as uh, between the Chinese and the Japanese or the Koreans and the, and the Japanese and so forth. So we had to really look at things and um, determine, you know, what was really being talked about as and how that how we were able to sort of bring out issues that we could dig deep into and perhaps for a lot of the people who were in their 50s, 60s, 70s, um, first time that they were able to talk about such secrets. And it was great as a, a catalyst during the Black Lives Matter to be able to respect others by respecting ourselves. So thank you. Wow, that's really powerful, Juliana. Thank you so much for sharing. And I think that also echoes Michaela's point about how we're not a monolith. Not all of our countries have been BFF forever. Um, so that's part of the experience, you know, that shared history, um, potential animosity between what happened decades ago or maybe even centuries ago. Um, I do realize that uh, we haven't mentioned in a while that we are recording this. And if you want more resources to educate yourself, uh, go to standwithasians.com. Um, we are also apparently keeping Michaela from a different panel that she's supposed to be on. So I would love to hear from Nicole and then uh, start to wrap this up a little. Hey, sorry, one quick thing. I have to run, but I just want to thank you so much for for having me on this panel and for such an important thing. So thank you everybody so much for having me. Bye Maureen. Thank Bye. you Maureen. Maureen. And thank you for your contributions. Thank you Maureen. Thank you. I'm also gonna take this moment to say thank you. Um, I just wanna put a shout out and also put a challenge out there to our community. I've been pitching AAPI-centered projects for at least three years now, and it's always like a smile and a wave and a thank you. Um, so that's not to say the effort's not out there. I mean, even Estella and I, Estella and I have spoken about certain projects, and it feels to me like there's some sticky point with people and AAPI-centered projects, and I just want to put a challenge out there to maybe rethink about that because we, we do have amazing, incredible stories and we want them to be shared and seen in the ARVR community in so many different formats and so many different ways. And so um, would love to just put that out there that we're, we're here, we're doing the work and we're just waiting for the rest of the industry to recognize that and put some elbow grease behind it so that we can get it even more amazing, expand this amazing community even more so with more diverse storytelling and more diverse experiences. So thanks Everybody all for pay helping. Michaela, hire Michaela. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to peace out now, but thank you so much for having this room and thank you so much for having me today. Thanks, Michaela. Thank you, Michaela. Appreciate you being here. All right, well, let's let's move on to uh, Nicole. Nicole, welcome. Uh, what, the floor is yours. Hi, thank you so much. I, I wanted to be sure to give uh, space to uh, everyone else. Um, and I jumped on the stage because first I wanted to apologize for um, the comments of the uh, person a uh, couple times before, I thought that was very not supportive of, of the room. And I'm sorry that you, that everyone had to, had to hear some of that, um, that, 
in, in any case, but what I, I did want to talk, ask about is a question. So I'm a VR creator and have been uh, working to create this uh, game experience, Follow the White Rabbit, which is based on my experience growing up where I traveled around the world. My, my parents were in, the, were in the service, so I uh, wanted to represent different cultures, and I have a number of uh, a number of the puzzles uh, require sort of empathy with different uh, different races, the locale, the history, and I think in America a lot of racism happens because we don't empathize, at least from you know my perspective and uh, my heritage is, is European. Uh, we don't understand the connection. So a lot of what we're doing is like looking at the interconnectedness of, of, of cultures, such as, you know, where, where paper comes from, where chess, you know, comes from, and have that worked into the story. But I was curious if we wanted as a, as a, as a, white, as a white creator, is there stuff that we can do to, uh, in addition to, you know, uh, hiring, uh, you know, people indigenous to the different regions that we're going, is there other stuff that we can do? to make our, uh, our creative uh, more open, more welcoming, more, uh, more supportive of, the, of what we're talking about here today? I mean, I, I think to expand upon what you're saying, so it, it sounds like um, you're hiring consultants, BIPOC consultants, people who are maybe um, whatever the VR version is of a sensitivity reader, oh, um, making sure that people from different viewpoints can look at the work and determine whether or not um, like th that is respectful of a particular culture. Is that what you're asking? It's actually the narrative is actually I'm writing it and it's based on the cultural lessons I learned from, you know, being in Beijing, you know, living in, you know, Egypt and Iran and all of these these things, uh, all of these locations um, and that the my eyes were opened by that experience. And so when I came back to the U.S., I have, um, you know, I, I was it's very hard. I still have, everyone has unconscious bias, but it was still hard for me to, um, I want to try and open people's eyes so that they are uh, less likely to be, or be more e easy to easily recognize their racial prejudices and that sort of thing. And, uh, and so I was curious if there was any recommendations. I'm both drawing on my experiences of, of, of culture and of having friends in all of these different cultures, uh, as well as, um, other things. Yeah, I would say that getting that um, cultural sensitivity consultant hiring someone for their expertise about that culture is definitely something that like a lot of different mediums, VR, film, TV, novels, fiction, um, you know, I've, I've started to see more and more of that emerge people specifically hiring consultants for this cultural knowledge to make sure that the treatment of it is respectful. And I think that's a really good place to start. So maybe if you can um, focus some of your efforts there and, you know, it, again, it, it doesn't have to be someone who necessarily works in immersive, right? Uh, right. Yeah, I no, definitely, definitely, definitely agree. Um... Yeah, that sounds um, that sounds good. Are there any anything that people any experiences that have had that you have tried that have helped people from outside of the group become open their eyes, become more woke experientially? I would just point back to Book of Distance if you haven't seen that. That's for me at least uh, an experience that uh, I think covers a lot of the very specific issues of the. Uh, Asian American Pacific Islander uh, experience of uh, both in uh, it's Canada specific in that piece, but I think it's, um, you know, a lot of those themes translate over 
Um, so I definitely recommend checking that out if you haven't yet in terms of a, an immersive experience. And it's free on Steam, um, produced by the National Film Board of Canada, uh, Randall Akita. And uh, yeah, highly, highly recommend uh, checking that out if you haven't seen it yet. Um, I think I'm... Um... Did they win a, a special jury award at South by Southwest? I think the New Yorker documentary Reeducated. So while there may not be like as much um, that you can still get on like the Steam store for in terms of the sixth off stuff that shows at festivals, some of the 360 films do end up out in the world. And so like that is also a really good place to start. Yeah, won a special immersive jury prize for immersive special jury prize for immersive journalism, and that was Reeducated, which is a New Yorker piece that was covering a lot of the the in the Xinjiang region. Is that, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but yeah, a lot of the the Uyghurs uh, and all the different stuff that's happening there in China. That's a piece. That's a 360 video that's on uh, Oculus, but also a New Yorker piece that goes into great detail. And again, uh, standwithasians.com is where you can find even more resources to learn about the AAPI experience and help support the AAPI community. And we are going to have a follow-up Zoom session um, to keep these ideas going, keep this brainstorming going. Uh, if you send a direct message to No Persinium on Twitter, we will get you the details there. It is part of our weekend event, the Spring Fling, but this particular session we are making free and open to the public. Yeah, and uh, we uh, just wanted to also give another shout out for that the standwithasians.com slash learn. And the PBS documentary, Asian Americans, is a, a really excellent five-part series. And it, they uh, made it free on PBS. So if you download the PBS app or you can stream it live, highly, highly recommend check that out. Because I think it there's a lot of the context of the history of, of these topics that I wasn't taught in school. And we don't, it's not like common knowledge. And so it's almost like you were filling in the gaps of um, a lot of stuff that has happened. But unless you've gone out to proactively search it, you may just not be aware of all these issues in the history. Um, so that for me has been a really uh, good place to that I would recommend to go start as well as that that piece. And there's a whole uh, long list of other pieces uh, and media that has been mentioned throughout the, the course of this conversation. And uh, like Catherine said, this is being recorded. So if you missed the first part of it, you can go back and listen to it on the No Pro podcast. But um, yeah, lots of resources and the standwithasians.com, lots of other resources that you can dig into as well. But uh, I think we have uh, another person that just came up, Fi Feige. Yeah, Welcome. yeah. And um, oh, sorry, hi, P hi, PG. Um, so let's close out with uh, PG because I know it's getting pretty late on the East Coast and we will definitely be able to continue this conversation. This is not going to be the only session that we're having. Hi, Catherine. Thank you guys so much for having me. I won't be long because I actually also have to go, but I just wanted to say hi, introduce myself. My name is PG Law. I have a podcast called Reality Escape Pod, where we discuss immersive gaming, mostly escape rooms, things like that. Uh, but I will be speaking at the Spring Fling panel tomorrow. Um, another thing about my background is I was a contestant on the reality show Survivor, what I consider to be one of the world's largest immersive experiences and games. Um, and, you know, they have evolved a lot. There are small things that I notice that are kind of these, I guess, microaggressions. They're not even micro. Things like, you know, my the first season that I was on was set in China. 
And Survivor used to have these gross food eating challenges. And what are the gross foods? These are all Chinese foods. These are delicacies. These are things that I grew up eating, you know, that are being portrayed in what's considered something gross. Uh, and I, I think they have since stopped doing that, which I think is already a big step. But I feel like things like representing the foods that we eat, making sure that in the narratives, you know, they're not seen as other. They're seen as something really normal. A lot of other a lot of Asian Americans I know, we our mothers made us delicious lunches with rice and I don't know, soy milk and fish that we always got made fun of when we were young. So I think one of the important things are, is normalizing some of these cultural differences and things like our food and our culture and just portraying them in a normal way, I, I think will go a long ways. Um, you know, it's also a strange thing. When I was on Survivor China, I was really resistant to identifying as a Chinese American. I wanted to come on, and this was 10 years ago, I wanted to come on and be seen as me, you know, PG, just a three-dimensional person and not as some kind of blank Chinese person, you know, a stereotype. And I was really, really afraid of how they were going to portray me as something really one dimensional. And so I was really resistant to talking about it. And they always did in these interviews. They were always like, as a Chinese American, how do you feel about this? And I'm like, can I just talk about how I feel about this as me and not as a Chinese person? I will say looking, you know, now looking back, um, I hear from a lot of people that have continued, that have gone on to be on the show, that are other Asian Americans that have gone on to be on Survivor. And they, they tell me, they're like, PG, it was actually an inspiration to see you on there as a Chinese American. And, and it really kind of opened my eyes to like, you know what? Representation matters. It matters that they see you on stage. It matters a lot to these people that they hear you talking about your heritage and talking about your culture and being proud of it. And I am a little embarrassed that back then I wasn't as outspoken about it as I am now. And so I just wanted to, I don't know, encourage all the creators and anyone out there to, to be proud and outspoken. And that's really it. I'm done speaking. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing, PG. Um, there's a really great interview with Kelly Marie Tran about Raya and the Last Dragon on the Dave Chang podcast, where they talk about kind of being the first blank of anything, how that's kind of this really weird double-edged sword, because it is both a joy to be the first blank, like, AAPI to do a thing, but also kind of like a burden and a responsibility because you will feel like you are representing, um, you know, your people, your culture, everyone that looks like you. But at the same time, you know that like there's probably a little kid out there watching it and saying, oh, my God, that could be me. So, um, yeah, I think the more voices, the more diversity, if you've got multiple, you know, folks that look like me or like Estella or like Juliana on a show, like the more that we can just be humans and not necessarily be like, oh, they they have to represent, they have to be that stereotype or they have to, you know, fight the stereotype all the time. Like that is a really, really tough line to be treading all the time. And so um, just claps and applause for you for doing it and sticking with it and going back to Survivor. By the way, PG's been on Survivor twice. So yeah, go check those old episodes out because, you know, girl, you you looked amazing. Come on. <laughs> Thanks. I, I appreciate that. Um, even though I was living in the jungle without showering for for weeks on end. Um, and so, so also I would like, you know, now that I have a bit of a platform with a podcast, I'd also love to try to get more creators on more Asian creators and just a more diverse people in general um, into the scene you know and this is something that I was actually 
struggling with when I was, you know, I was looking actually for like black creators, Asian creators, Hispanic creators to come onto my podcast to talk about it. And I was, I realized there, there, I don't know if there aren't that many or if they're not that involved in the community, you know? So, so my other suggestion would be if you know, a creator who, or even anybody who's remotely into this, get them involved in the community, invite them to come to these clubhouses, invite, tag them, you know, tell them to come participate because the more they network, the more people like you guys are, you know, someone who's an influencer has any platform, I can network and reach out and meet them. And I can then maybe, you know, have them on the podcast and just get more visibility for them in the future. So that's the other, my other recommendation is to just get more people involved in the community. I'm done talking. Yeah, 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 that's awesome. Up, uplift, and uh, you know, uh, I'm always happy to shout out um, fellow AAPI creators too. So, thank you so much for sharing, PG. I think that's a really good note to end on. I don't know what you all think, Joanna and Kent. <laughs> well, Dean just came up. I wanted to give him an opportunity to speak oh. if he wanted to, if he oh. wanted to add anything, and and then after that we we can close if 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 you'd like. Sorry, I joined so late, and uh, so I'm uh, actually a bit uh, in the dark about the whole subject of what you guys have already discussed. Um, I did write a column uh, last Friday about uh, my feelings about the stop Asian hate and uh, everything that uh, that's transpired, and uh, you know tried to tried to build an argument uh, about you know how we should just sort of really uh speak our truth and and um uh be treated as individuals right and uh, i think uh, everybody has has earned uh that kind of uh, level of just um i respect and uh and and my own view was you know we we grow up uh, uh fairly americanized uh, right now, and um, Asian Americans can be uh, categorized um, as nothing more than Silicon Valley techies, right? That's kind of like where I am as a as a person now. Uh, but um, that I think that just makes so many assumptions about about who we are as people, and um, you know the the whole model minority myth as uh, conceived in the '60s really uh, basically. Uh, it says, you know, it, it, it was like a tool of, of racism, really, to, to just say Asian Americans have been successful in this country. Um, and so uh, it's a fair country. And that, uh, you know, blacks and browns, if they try harder, uh, they can be as successful as the Asian Americans. And so, you know, we're we're sort of denied our own humanity. We're we're treated as invisible, as nothing more than white people, uh, and uh, and and that's so far from the truth, and so far from the fact that my my own generation, um, you know, grew up just one generation after uh, the, um, you know, my my parents and other family were put into internment camps in World War II. Um, and, you know, basically uh, not treated as Americans, even though they were American citizens, right? So, so I think, um, you know, when, whenever you're categorizing people and 
otherwise, you know, saying that, you know, they are, they are other than what they are, um, then it becomes so easy to, to do things like, you know, um, treat them as others, um, treat them as less than human, uh, treat them as, as people who are, are not like you and therefore um, need to, you know, just be ignored either either as invisible or as modern minority, but they're not real people. And so um, I think uh, what we need is representation. We need to be represented as normal people. Uh, I, I pointed out that this is necessary in video games. Uh, when I saw an Asian American character, a uh, male character in a video game with a starring role, I was like totally dumbfounded uh, because I had never seen something like this and it felt so good to be represented in that way. And uh, uh, then uh, it becomes harder to treat us as others and to dehumanize us. And so I think that's, uh, that's you know, how I'd like to be treated. So just have better representation, see, see people like myself represented in all the media. And, and that's what I have to say. If I could just add, Dean wrote an excellent article uh, about your your family's uh, experience in the camps. Was that a couple years ago? I think it was so powerful. I, I thought about it for days and days and days. Yeah, thank you, Nicole. Thank you so much for sharing, Dean. Um, really, really powerful stuff. And um, I'm I'm so glad you're here. And I'm sorry that I didn't see you at the bottom of the list. I have, I didn't scroll all the way down. So um, my apologies there. Um, Joanna, Kent, anything that you guys want to say before we close the room and uh, let folks take in the rest of this amazing programming uh, as part of Stand with Asians today on Clubhouse? Well, I would just like to say thank you all for joining tonight. Thank you for sharing your experiences. I learned a lot and was very moved and impacted by many, many of your stories and, and the sharing. So thank you for being so open and vulnerable and raw and you know taking the time to to educate others in this space and to share. So thank you for um, coming coming to the Extending Reality Room to do that and using this platform for good. We appreciate that. Yeah, just to echo that, just really enjoyed, um, just got a lot out of uh, hearing everybody's experiences and you know, this is, uh, uh, there's a lot that's happening. And I think one thing that I just, that didn't come up that I just want to sort of give a shout out for what Tipitat said, which was that, you know, there's a lot of political rhetoric that was happening. And I think it's worth just pointing out that, you know, the, with the coronavirus and the type of racist rhetoric that was coming from Trump explicitly, um, you know, the World Health Organization says explicitly to not, um, the label the the diseases to regions because of this very thing that happens that then the it gets transferred over to this larger pandemic and associated with an entire race of people and that's happened time and time and time again in the past and yet despite all of that there was still the political decision to do that to kind of like for whatever reason um and i think that has created this larger political context that has fomented um, this type of division and hate that was driven by a lot of the political leadership in this country, which 
uh, as I watch these documentaries, it, it's not out of nowhere. It's got a long history and a long context. And I think um, as allies, we can just do our best to try to just educate ourselves. Uh, the, the website, again, the stand, standwithagents.com, uh, there's a slash learn that has a lot of different videos that a lot of them came up in the course of this conversation. But I would just encourage other uh, allies to be able to just educate yourself. That's a, sort of a, a baseline, just to sort of get uh, more familiar with this history uh, and to see how that is impacting everything else that's happening. Um, but more than anything else, just uh, just gratitude for everybody who uh, was coming up and sharing their own experiences of each of these different dynamics. And I think, you know, just getting the conversation going and sharing uh, is the first step. And, you know, I think it'll be a lot of uh, listening. And um, I'd also just like to emphasize the thing that Michaela said, which was, you know, that uh, when there are these different AAPI stories that come up, that the larger industry could also find the resources and to prioritize these stories and to not um, sort of reinforce this invisibility um, that's a part of the racism and to, to, to fund and to support and to, to go out and see these different projects uh, and to, to, to support the creators that are making these projects and to watch them and to um, get them out there and have more people see them. So uh, that's a lot of the different things that I, that I take away from the conversation. And uh, yeah, again, just gratitude for everybody coming in, uh, participating and chatting. Hey guys, can I add just one more thing before we leave? You know, I, th I think, you know, when I think about what the immersive community can do, you know, I think one of the fundamental things, you know, especially with amazing artists, talent like Estella and others out there, it's like, we need to document this moment. We need to document how we feel. We need to write this down, you know, uh, Dean, I think your article is fantastic. And just let our voices be heard and documented, you know, put out artwork that represents how we feel, what's going on, so we can spread the message and get the word out. And, you know, I hope others can help amplify the voices uh, of the people that decide to speak out. Wonderful. Well, thank you all so much. This has been really um, illuminating, and I'm so glad uh, that you know, everyone who shared a story, a moment, part of their personal history, you know, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I know it can be really, really kind of terrifying to step up to the mic and do it. So again, um, thank you, big love to everyone who joined in today and this will not be the last of our conversations. Thank you everyone. for having this. This is incredible to see this in our community. So thank you so much. Thank you all, appreciate you. And if you want to follow up tomorrow, uh, DM no proscenium for the Zoom link.